Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. Let's get into our Bibles, John chapter 13. As you're going there, I just want to uh, remind you about last week when I started this series that there is, thank you, Regina, there is a clear difference between a believer and a disciple. I hope I made those, those plain last week. Someone who just is a decision maker and who is a disciple. You know, if you look in the New Testament, even in the book of John, you'll see that Jesus did not have any trouble gathering a crowd. He had no problem gathering a crowd. I mean, if you wanted to go get a free meal, Jesus would be your guy. If, 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 you, needed, if you needed someone to pay your taxes, Jesus would send you fishing to do so. I mean, he could draw a crowd. If you needed to, to get some relief from your medical bills, go see Jesus. He'll heal you. Jesus had no problem gathering a crowd. And I'm, I'm just telling you, there are perks in following Jesus. Can somebody say amen? There's perk, Bill, there's some perks in knowing the Lord. Marianne's going to be a little nicer. But not only did Jesus have a, a, a knack for gathering a crowd, he also had a real good knack for thinning out a crowd. Of all of the thousands of people that were affected by Jesus' ministry, fast forward to the upper room where only 120 people showed up to be the launch team for the church universal. You see, after Jesus started doing some of his teaching and talking about being a follower and a, and a disciple, the crowd seemed to thin out just a little bit. Because Jesus wasn't concerned with filling a room. Jesus was concerned with filling a life. Filling a person with, with, a, with a passion to follow him. We talked about that passion last week. That a true disciple has an, in, an extraordinary passion to follow Jesus. And I believe that the church, and the reason for this series is that the church needs to rediscover what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. Can someone say amen? John chapter 13, Scripture in verse 34 and 35 that you have heard so many times, you can quote it, but it doesn't lose its power Regardless, a new command I give you, love one another. And here's the connecting phrase, as I have loved you, love one another as I have love each other like I love you so that you must love one another because verse 35, by this. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have extraordinary faith. If you have incredible supernatural gifts. If you have ministry success. It's not what it says, is it? All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That sounds too simplistic, Pastor. It can't be that simple. 
it can't just be love. It has to be something a little bit more flashy. If you're going to be a disciple, people need to be able to see something glorious about your life. Friends, the way to know and to tell the world that you are a true disciple and follower of Jesus is to love one another. It doesn't get any more special than that. You see, we live in a world that doesn't love much. We live in a world that doesn't understand what love is anymore. Our world is filled with with all types of, of conflict. As a matter of fact, if you'll just look back over the last four or five years, would you look at the assault of, of tension and antagonism and conflict that has filled our society from the streets of major cities in our own nation to around the world, the conflict that's raging right now, brother against brother. Our world is filled with a tremendous amount of conflict. There is political tension that has caused the conflicts between individuals, even in their own family. There's racial conflict and racial tensions that have emerged, that have, that have surfaced and come to the surface and been antagonized in our own culture by various groups and various people. There's been ideological tension. Even generational tension where the young are against the old and the old are down-talking the young. And it's easy for us to to see this tribalism that's occurred because that's what's happened. Our, Our society has become more and more tribal. This is my tribe. This is what we believe. This is what we think. This is how we live. And that's your tribe. And you go do your own thing. And it's easy for that mentality to sneak into the church. To sneak in so that that we become no different than the church. As a matter of fact, it happened in one of the greatest New Testament churches that we read about. It happened in the church in Ephesus. Paul spent years in Ephesus, teaching and preaching and establishing the church there. It was a strong church. He left one of his his spiritual sons, Timothy, there in charge of the church. It was an incredible church. Did all types of things, but there was something that happened to that church. 20 years later, John, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, writes these words in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. He says to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds. Jesus said, I know your hard work and your perseverance. It sounds like that they're doing pretty good. I know that you can't tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You found them to be false. You don't don't mess with sin. You don't mess with people who preach uh, false doctrine or, or preach heresy. You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. In the name of Jesus, you have kept marching. You've not grown weary. You stayed steadfast. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, let me just say that most of the time when we hear this passage preached, we focus only upon our love for God. 
And the focus is, well, you've done the deeds, but you've done it kind of in name only. You've been nice. You've been, you've been perseverance. You, you've, you've rejected sin because you, you, you have, you, you've done it all, but it's been show. It's been hollow and, and your love for God has waned. And yes, that is a part of this passage. But I'm going to tell you, I believe what Jesus is truly referring to here. Because someone who is, who is persevering, who doesn't tolerate sin or wickedness, hardworking, persevering in the name of Jesus, not growing weary, it sounds like that they still do have somewhat of a love for God. But what, the, what Jesus is saying is not just all of that. What you have done is you have quit loving other people. You've lost your first love. You see, when Jesus comes in, He transforms our love, not just to be transformative toward Him, but our love toward others. This, this place where, 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 Paul, where, where Paul had ministered for so long, he had been praying 20 years beforehand. Paul had said this, I pray this in Ephesians 3. I pray that you become rooted and grounded in love. Because Paul knew that in any church, no matter how diligent they were, no matter how straight they were, no matter how much they preached the gospel and ministered to children and ministered to young people, no matter how perseverant they were and how steadfast and faithful they were, he knew that there was a tendency in every Christian believer to overlook the power and capacity of love. We get very busy talking about faith, talking about spiritual gifts, talking about power, that we can miss the most important aspect of what a disciple is, and that is the aspect of love. Because as he says in Ephesians chapter 3, describing this church in, in Ephesus, 20 years before Jesus said those words that they had lost their first love, He says that being motivated by love is what fills us to the measure of the fullness of God. Everything that you want from God starts and is rooted in love. It's the not just the love for God, but it's the love for everyone else around you. That God love. You see, the power of God comes in love and through love. How many of you have ever been stranded in a parking lot or, or some, some place and your car wouldn't start? And you needed a set of jumper cables. Anybody ever been there? And so you're looking for jumper cables. What's wrong? There's no power in your car. And so you dig through the seats or you go ask some stranger, hey, you got any, any cables? And they know what you're talking about because they know. So you get those cables out, and on those cables you've got one red end, and then you got one black end. And you pop the hood and you look at your battery, and on the top of your battery there are two posts. One is the positive post, and one is the negative post. Now, some of you don't know that, but you're going to learn how to boost a car off. On the positive and negative post. And you put the red cable to the pot. Man, you guys are mechanics. You put the red cable to the positive. 
You turn yourself around and that's what it's all about. Because when you plug to the positive, you have energy flowing in a direction from the battery. Now here's the thing. If you don't ever, if you plug the red to the dead car, you'll never jump that car. You know why? Because the circuit is not complete. The circuit's not complete. Now here's the thing. We love to plug into the positive love of God. I love to plug into the love of God. I love the positive return because let me tell you something. It's easy to love God. After you've served the Lord for very long, you get to realize something special. You get to notice that as you love Him, it's hard not to, as He loves you, it's hard not to love Him back. Because in your deep, dark, uh, depressing times, the flood of His love just begins to fill you up and encourage your heart. When you're sad and you're emotionally distressed, the peace of God just begins to flow. There is a flow of energy and power that flows from Almighty God. And as you serve Him, it's easy to say, man, I love you, Lord. Thank you for... He provides for us. He fills our hearts with satisfaction. He gives us all that we need. That's what He says. I have given you all things. It gives us all of these things and it brings peace. But the problem is, is it's hard. It's hard to love the negative side. Because until you make that circuit and you plug the positive and the negative side, that circuit will not, there will be no power. You will not jump any car off. That negative side of love is love that goes from you to another person. You're loving them. Those are the people that irritate you. Those are the people that annoy you. That say things that you don't like. That act like you owe them something. You don't enjoy being around those people. They've denied Christ. They're, they're shameless in their, in their way of sin or life. But what happens is when you begin to take the plug from the positive and you plug to the negative, you actually become and move from a believer to a disciple because you realize that every power, everything that you have from God comes from the root of love. And it passes on to everything else. If you want power to flow through your life, you have to connect both sides. God will not flow only through one. He will flow when you are being the conduit through which He can use His power to touch other people and to jumpstart their life in love. So let me just walk you through four areas of uncommon love that make the difference between a disciple and a believer. First of all, is that a disciple learns to love the least. Not loving less, but they love the least. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is describing a time, one of these days, and I believe it's coming soon, where there's going to be a great sifting. The Lord is going to separate people at some point. The story goes in Matthew chapter 25 is that He's going to separate the sheep 
and he's going to separate the goats. The sheep and the goats. The thing about the sheep and goats is that if they're out on a hill and you're a distance away, they all kind of look the same. But when you get up close to them, you'll notice the difference. Well, here's the thing about Jesus. He knows the difference no matter where you are. You may, you may, he may see some sheep and he may see some goats out there who just share in the same pasture, but he knows the difference because he says, my sheep know me and I know my sheep. And in this passage, Matthew chapter 25, there is one criteria that Jesus uses to separate the two. And it's how they love. Look at it. Matthew 25, verse 33. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. You see, a disciple loves the people that don't really have the same needs that they have. Disciple loves people that are sometimes and oftentimes really dismissed by others. Keep reading verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see the when did we see the hungry and feed you? Or the thirsty and give you something to drink? When did when did we see a stranger and invite you in or or needed clothes and clothe you? When when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You know, I really have a kind of a pet peeve here, and it's illustrated in this passage. Too much of the work that's done in the name of the Lord is not really done for love of God or for love of man, but it's done, done for an online audience. Too often people do things so that they can seek likes, or thumbs up, rather, and seek comments underneath the picture that they have posted online. Rather, seeking comments, we should seek God's com commendation for what we are doing. There's a clear difference between a believer and a disciple in this case. They don't look for the applause. They don't look for a recognition. They don't need something to boost their self-esteem. They're not trying to promote their Twitter feed or their Facebook post. They love because that's what a disciple does. If there are no cameras and there are no videos, still a disciple loves those people who are the least. It doesn't matter. Disciple doesn't think that people are less than. That's what a disciple does. You see, we have in our, in our whole uh generation we've been taught for years the theory of rep, of evolution and we don't believe in that and most of you would say that's ridiculous but it is a way of thinking that if we're not careful this survival of the fittest that certain people are more important than others can sneak into our lives because it's so prevalent in our world and in our culture not sure what technical problems we're having but let's let's not worry about it 
Jesus said, when you're loving the least, you're loving me. You're loving me. In our lives, most of the time, we don't live around the least. We don't live around a whole lot of people who are hungry. We don't work with them. We don't touch them. We don't go and see them. And so we're sheltered a lot of times from that. We don't, we don't catch that. And we miss those opportunities because we're just never around them. I mean, when's the last time that you have, that you have uh, fed the hungry? When's the last time that you have been around a lot of sick people? When's the last time that you've been in a jail? Not mo- most of us would say, you know what, there's not a whole lot of times that I've been that way. And in our nation, though, we see an increase in the least. I don't know if you've noticed in Denton, every time you pull up to a stoplight now, there's someone standing on the corner. Now, I can just tell you five years ago, that was not the case. There are more and more least people in our community. There are more and more people who are, who are in need. And I have to confess to you, that tendency of not worrying about those folks can sneak in to our lives. There's a corner that I constantly go to. I pulled up there and there's a man that's standing there and he's been there every day. He's there every day. And I know for a fact that he has life controlling issues. More than just mental illness, but there are drug issues and and various things. I know that. And I looked at him one day and I I noticed him at the corner of my eye panhandling for food. And I said in my heart, I said, God, why would I give him something? All he's going to do is go buy drugs or or beer. He's he's a dope head, Lord. And this clear voice came back to me as sharp as an arrow. It hit me right in in the heart. I said, but even a dope head deserves a meal. Let me tell you something. We have to learn to love the least. We have to learn to love those. I don't mean that you have to stop and give to every panhandler out there, but I want you to know that we notice, because when we think of the least, most of the time we think of just the homeless. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot more in that least crowd than just a bunch of homeless people. It's the least in the society, those who can't fend for themselves, those who can't do it on their own. What about the elderly who are sick, who might live in that little uh, home across the street? When is the last time we've created time for the least of them in our community? What about children in our community who don't have parents, who don't have a home? When, when have we created a, a, a chance to love them as the least. A disciple loves them. They sees them. Notices them. Even in our own church. There's not much that a baby can do for us except for mess their pants and keep us busy changing diapers. But they are a part of the least in our community. A disciple learns to love the least. It's uncommon. Secondly, a disciple expresses uncommon love by learning to love the lost. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, well, who's the lost? You're probably in that crowd. What do you mean by lost? Well, I mean, you're probably one of those because people can live their entire life not knowing they are lost until someone tells them. It's amazing now in 
in America, you almost have to show people through the Word of God that they're not a Christian before you can lead them to become a real Christian. And I don't make that as a scourge of saying, hey, I'm the only one that's a Christian. I just make that mentality that people just have this idea in America that just because you live here, that, that you're just going to heaven and, and you know Jesus, and that's the whole idea. There's a difference between a decision maker and being a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, look what he says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call, not call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus exposes the real issue that I believe is so prevalent in the modern church. In churches today, right here in our own city. Where we have long produced believers and not disciples. There's this mindset now where people think that the church is all about them. Now, I'm just going to preach because that's what I'm paid to do, called to do. We pull up into the parking lot, bless God, I hope they've got some close parking spots up there for me. I don't want to have to walk too far. It's cold out here. That church, they need to pave some more. They need to fix some of these parking spots. Make them a little wider. I don't want my doors dinged when I pull up here. Go to the house of God. And when I get in there, I certainly do. I certainly do hope that they've got those donuts ready to go because I've got to take my kids and drop them off. I mean, I, I get an, hour's, an, an hour and a half every Sunday free from them little rats. I don't have to pay any attention to them. I give them to somebody else. Free babysitting. Maybe they'll tell them about Jesus. Straighten them things out. Because I need a little break. I need some coffee and donuts. I need to be able to sit down and I hope those chairs are comfortable. If we... Mabel, if we go to that church and they are not comfortable, we're leaving. Because I've got that sciatic, you know. Can't sit long. That music, it better be good. They better have good music. Matter of fact, it better sound like the, the, the Dallas Symphony by the time they get started up there. Them sour notes just keep me from worshiping Jesus. I just It just stops me in my tracks. Better be good music. It better be the kind that I like. Better be that kind of music that I know how that my grandma taught me. Or, let me just say this, it better not be that old music my grandma taught me. And when that preacher gets up there, yes, sir, when that preacher gets up there, he better not be long-winded. 
he better give us a few a few uh, points in a and a poem, and then he better be done with his business so I can get to the house and get my roast out and watch the cowboys play. Because if they don't have all those things and they don't check my list, then I'm out of there. I'll go down the street to the next church. And I'll do the same thing there. Because church has come so... This is the consumer mentality that has filled the American church. I don't have a problem with going and finding a good church. But I think most people who are looking for a church are looking for the wrong thing. Find a place where the, where the Word of God is preached. Find a place where you feel the presence of the Lord. I don't care if they've got a guy singing and playing the harmonica at the same time. If you can feel the power of the Holy Spirit and you can worship, then get in there and get after it. People looking for the wrong thing. We've got we to gotta make church not about us. It's about what, it, what, is, what Jesus made the church to be. Because the real danger is this. There are church leaders who placate to that mentality now. They gear their service in order to appease those people who pay their tithe. Rather than looking to find a way to, to motivate those people and to challenge them to go out into the highways and byways and compel the lost to come in. Come on, somebody. I'm just preaching this morning. You're already mad at me about the cowboy game tonight. I mean, it can't get any worse. Thanks, John, with the Kansas City jersey on. That's all right. I feel better now. Oh, San Francisco? Dear. I thought we cast those evil spirits out of this church before we... Lord, help us. We love everybody here, John. We love all people. Yeah, now get out. No. The problem that we, that we have is, is, is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what a real disciple should do. Is this uncommon love that loves the lost people. I just know what the problem is. And here's the problem. I don't think that you don't like people. I really do. And I think that you truly love the lost. Honestly, I'm, telling, I'm talking to, the, to my church because I know my church. My problem, or our problem, I believe, is this. You ain't got any more sinner friends. Let's just pause. And I want you to think about your week or your month. You get saved. Think about this how it goes. You get saved. You get on fire for God. The people you start hanging around, they're on fire for God. They want to go to church. They want to do all those things. And then all of your activities become church activities. And none of the world begins to show up in church activities. They should. We should invite them. But we, we find ourselves in this little bubble where the only people we associate with are those people that are just like us. That come to church, carry their Bible, and show up and sing and worship Jesus. And then we say, well, why aren't the lost coming to our church? and getting saved. It's because 
We don't have any lost friends. Where was Jesus? He's hanging out at Matthew's house. And what did Matthew do? He didn't call all the other disciples. Hey, you know, you called Peter and James. Why don't you see if they want to come over? How about James? Bring old Andrew with him, you know. And we'll all have a real good discussion about the theological treatise of of, of the book of Genesis. No, what's he do? He calls, hey, I got this new dude coming to my house. Well... What is he? Well, he's a religious teacher. Well, I'm a prostitute. Well, come on. It'll be awesome. Matthew picks up. Hey, tax collector, buddy. I know everybody hates you, but I think this guy's going to like you. Why don't you show up? Yeah, I don't know, man. I've been burned by those people. Just come. You might like it. What does Matthew do? He throws a Matthew party. He invites all of his lost buddies. He still had sinner friends. And Jesus transformed their life. I don't blame you and say, oh, you don't love the lost. But I just believe that we've got to go out and and be a little bit more uncomfortable and get around people who need Jesus and stop saying, well, bless, that offends me the way they talk. Well, how do you expect the lost person supposed to talk? Come on. Why they stand for all that stuff. I don't stand for that. I don't want people to think that I'm a part of that crowd. Come on. How are they going to know the light unless you shine it? You are the best picture of Jesus that they may ever have. You've got to get out there and show them. You've got to be a part of them. Well, they drink their liquor right there. I'm not going out to eat with them. Go out. Good grief. What if someone sees me? What if the church, somebody in the church sees me? Would you give it a rest? You can't win the world if you're never in the world. Jesus said, I don't want to remove them from the world. I want them to keep be kept from the world. Because they're the only light that this world has. An uncommon love. A disciple says, you know what? I love the lost. I love lost people. And then there's an uncommon love, and it's a little bit different. It's, the, it's when we love those who are labeled. got technical issues I love it I just tell the devil get over it we're going to keep going no problem we love the labeled we live in a world that's filled with human labels we identify people by tags we make assumptions about people all the time I I do this I do this for fun when Shannon goes to the mall and I go with her, I don't go and walk through Dillard's. No, 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 no. I go find me a nice little bench out there and I watch. I'm a people watcher. I go sit down. We go to Six Flags. Go ride your rides, kids. I'm sitting right there under that tree and I'm going to watch it. This is the greatest thing. I mean, to see people. Thank God has a great sense of humor, Marianne. You're right. To create all of the people that you can see it right here in Dallas. I'm telling you what. We, and we label everyone. We say, you know, I'll bet that person. Shannon and I play this game. We'll look at people and we'll say, that guy's a brain surgeon. Yeah. What's his wife? His wife's a psychiatrist because it, he needs that support in order to do what he's doing. You know, we just make up stuff. It's just crazy. I said, you know what? I think you're right. Brain surgeon. When I was in high school, we, we, had, we, we had labels that we put on people. And you probably did too. Some of you still do. We had jocks. We had preps. 
We had goat ropers. We had the goths. We had the nerds. We even had the weirdos. I'm not going to tell you which group I was in, but everybody kind of stuck to their bunch. They did their own thing. They didn't kind of mix, mix with a whole lot of other people. Each group ran together. They didn't mix a whole lot. But today, there's that and there's much more. One of the most increased things that we've seen in our society lately have been racial labels. And it goes in groupings. It's not like he's white. It's the whites. And you got the blacks. And you got the Latinos. And let's not forget the Asians. And then you got what we can't even put our mind around because we're not smart enough to figure the others. We just, we just group people in the others. Oh, what's the other culture? It's just other. Yeah. Have an other dad and another mom. And we do that. And, and we have seen our society become so separated and labeled by obvious differences. Obvious differences. But here's what the world assumes. The, the world assumes that it is impossible for each group that has a different label to get along, much less to love one another. That, that can't happen. And you've got that school of thought preaching that idea. Oh, you're white, you're black, you can't love each other. It just can't happen. Because that doesn't happen in our day. That's not the way society works anymore. We've been enlightened. We've been, we've been educated. We know that each tri- you've got to stick to your own tribe. You've got to stick to your own group. It was Martin Luther King Jr. that said these words. 60 plus years ago, he said, you know, 11 a.m. is the most segregated, on a Sunday morning is the most segregated time in our society. You have the white church and you have the black church and you have the Hispanic church and then you got the other church, yeah. Includes everybody. And I'm so thankful for this. Our church has always been broadly diverse. It's always been broadly diverse. From race to age to social standing, our church has always been broad. When we planted the church, it was a part of our DNA since day one. It was a part of who we were. Shannon and I have lived cross-culturally. We know what it's like to be a minority. I know what that feels like. Not to the extent of, 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 of others, but I, I know that pressure that you feel when you walk into the room and you are different than 95% of everybody else in the room. And everybody knows that. You can't dismiss that feeling. It's real. And for those of you who felt that feeling, you know it's real. You know that feeling. It's, it's legitimate. But our DNA has always been to cross-culturally love people. And as we started this church years ago, I mean, we've been here for 15 years, we started this church, I said, Lord, that's the kind of church that I want. Because I've been in that church, in an international church overseas, where there were nations of about 50 or 60 nations represented, people worshiping God, different colors, different backgrounds, different languages, different everything. It was crazy. It was like heaven. 
worshiping God. I just stood there and cried. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I said, Lord, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. So if you want to be in a church that's got only one color or one age group or one style, this may not be your place. But if you want to be in a church where there is one spirit and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one father who is above all and through all and in all, that is the kind of church that we want to be. A church of uncommon love that loves beyond labels. Disciples don't base their life on human culture. Disciples base their life and their love on kingdom culture. Let me just tell you a story and I'm going to wrap up. Just a minute. When I get to that last point, Regina, you hustle up. In Genesis chapter 11, you see the story of mankind. And I just want to catch you up. For those of you who need a little bit of history of how all this happened. At one point, our world was filled with all one culture and one language. Everyone had the blood of Adam flowing through their veins. They became... They became one mighty group of people. But then they got proud and God began to do something. He confused their speech and he gave them various languages. And so what happens is because of the various languages, the people begin to separate. And as people begin to separate, new cultures begin to emerge. And as those new cultures begin to emerge, they begin to fight with one another because they thought their culture was superior to them or their language was superior to the, to the guy that lived next to them. And that happened for thousands of years until Jesus showed up. And Jesus comes along and he starts interacting people that weren't in his culture. Samaritans, Greeks, people that you don't associate with. Jesus starts engaging them and he engages them in their own culture. He begins to tell his disciples this. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to do something that has not happened on this earth in a very, very long time. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people were in that upper room. And they began to to be poured upon by the presence of God. And they begin, the Bible says, they begin to speak in tongues or languages. And some of those languages they begin to speak were known languages of the hearers who were standing outside and around the room. As they begin to hear that, they begin to ask, what is this? They're declaring the wonderful works of God in our own language, in our own culture. They are, they are talking to us in our own culture. And Peter stands up and he says, this is what the, the, the Spirit uh, has been poured out. The prophet Joel prophesied that I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh. Not on the whites and the blacks and the Asians and the Hispanics and the others. I'm going to pour my Spirit out on all flesh. 3,000 people came under the banner of Jesus Christ that day and became followers of Jesus. And the New Testament church was born. The church that this church is a part of, that first church, that early church, where where we we were all about the kingdom, a mixture of different people. This this early group was, was made up of different tribes and different cultures. But something began to happen in them. They began... To form something different. The 
the new relationship they had with, the, with Jesus began to take precedent over their own culture. And instead of their human culture and their tribal culture, they began to develop a kingdom culture. A culture that loved beyond colors, beyond cultures, beyond likes and preferences. A culture that went beyond styles. A culture that loved because Christ loved first. They begin these small groups called churches. And not everybody at early in the early church could understand each other because they spoke different languages and they came from different backgrounds and there were things that one group would do and they, they were like, man, why? that makes no sense. That's kind of offensive. But I know that you're a follower of Jesus. You're not doing that intentionally to me. Let's learn from one another. And they, they didn't communicate well, but what they did understand was they all understood one language and that was the language of love that filled every church and every house and every place where the people of God began to meet. And that love began to break down barriers. The Parthians and the Medes begin to get along. The, 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 the Cretans that were, that, were, that were known for their wickedness and, and their lying and cheating, they begin to get along with the Jews and the, and the Greeks begin to get along. The, the, the old wounds that had been there for years, they begin to be healed by this loving, Christ-centered culture. These past historical grievances that many in that early church had had, the Jews Worshipping next to the Romans. Wow. And you think that America's history is singular. No. They did it. And they did it because of an uncommon love they had for one another. The sad thing is, is the church could have remained that way had they kept loving as disciples. But somewhere along the way, Division grew and offense grew and tribalism took back over and we lost that multicultural, multi-ethnic love that was present in the first church. Now, I just, I'm thankful that the Lord has given us a broad spectrum in our church. But here's what I want you to remember. A disciple loves those uncommonly, who have labels. In our culture, we know the labels. There's so many labels now that you can't even count them. We have to love beyond that. Let me close with this. A disciple has an uncommon love for the unliked. If you live long enough, you're going to have enemies. You say, well, I don't have any enemies. No, but how about this word, rivals? We all have rivals. You say, well, I'm a good person. I shouldn't have any rivals. Oh, yeah, you will. Jesus lived a perfect life and he still had enemies. Matthew 5, I close with this verse. It says, you have heard that it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you want to move from a believer to a disciple... You have to say, Lord, I need you to help me bless those who hate me, who use me, who laugh at me, who have harmed me in the past. You have to move beyond those things. That's what it means to move from believer to disciple. And I'm not telling you that that's easy work. That's hard. That's hard work. But 
you have to learn to carry love instead of carrying offense. Because if you walk around carrying that offense all your life, it's going to weigh you down. You'll be dragging that thing into your grave. You have to learn that love. Love overcomes a multitude of sins, Scripture says. Romans chapter 12, I'm not going to read it because of time. Verse 21, he says, don't be overcome by evil. Don't, don't, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you begin to repay evil with good, that marks a very huge turning point in your journey of following Jesus. Because if you can set your offense aside, legitimate as it might be, and you can forgive, and you can commit that to the Lord, you have passed the mark of moving from just a believer to a disciple because it's not theoretical anymore. Forgiveness is not some theory. Forgiveness is an action that you take and you love your enemies with an uncommon love. The mark of a disciple. We love the least. We love the lost. We love the labeled. And we love the unliked. And that moves us from being a believer to a disciple. Let's pray this morning. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.